sometimes because it's a declaration. Praise God. Hmm. I didn't feel led to write a summer, uh, Mother's Day message today. Are you shocked? What I want to do is pray for the moms. And not just, you know, I mean, they're spiritual moms too. Some, some ladies may have never bore children, but that doesn't mean that they don't have spiritual kids that they have brought up in the Lord, that they have poured into. And maybe they're doing that now. So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the moms, Lord, and I pray that they would be aware of that anointing that you've placed on them whether they're a biological mom or a spiritual mom or whatever, whatever you have called them to in this world, Lord. And I just pray that that anointing rests upon them and they be able to cooperate with it, that they feel that urge, that leading to use the gifts you have given them to build children up and train them up in the way they should go so that when they're old, they won't depart from it. And so I thank you for them. I ask blessings upon them. And I thank you so much. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, of course, this, this message then will, will also be helpful to moms, I think, just as well as they will to dads. And, you know, anyone with ears to hear, as Jesus would say. Um, do I, I guess I want to go ahead and, and uh, again announce Pastor Lance Ivy coming on June 13th. Yes, looking forward to that. It's going to be awesome. Again, you do not want to miss him, really, I mean that. And then, of course, uh, the Hatabahs are coming out that Wednesday, that following Wednesday on the June 16th and uh, 6th, and so I guess I need to get, I need, we're getting closer, I need to get with him and, or her and see if one of them wants to speak or share. Um, yes, and we have, a, this is actually the first time I'm announcing it, so we have a baptism service May 23rd this month. Yeah, yeah. And my ro- my roster is quickly rising, so I'm like, okay, so I've got like I got like you know ten minutes to speak, you know, but it's okay, it's all right, you know. We'll just have a baptism service; it will be awesome, um, huh? We will be brief. We will be brief and amazing. I like that. So then uh, uh, we will do it here in the baptismal here. I'll have it prepped and ready to go. Um, We've talked about before possibly doing it down by the river, and I would like to do that at some point, but right now it's mosquito season, so, so we'll just hide indoors and just be joyful in here, yeah? Okay, is that, that, that all I have to, to announce? Okay. Um, yeah, turn, turn with me in your Bibles over to Mark 10. I forgot to ask for God's help, Lord. I need your help. Help to preach this, Lord. This has been on my heart, you know, and I had uh, <clears throat> been praying about it, whether it was the right time to speak on it, and uh, really kind of gave a previous teaching of this that I did a really big overhaul, just kind of went through and reworked everything in there, just, and uh, the reason that I felt led it was time to bring it up is because Larry actually mentioned something about it last week when we prayed about it, and he mentioned these banners over here. Um, so the title of today's message is A Look at the Process. A look at the process. I think when Christians look at the crisis state of the world today, if you pay attention to things that are going on, um, they make the mistake of forgetting that this is all a part of a process. 
You know, God is still on the throne. Yes, there's persecution going on, and persecution's ramping up. But God is still on the throne. And uh, it's like Jesus said, don't fear those who can kill the body, but instead fear him who can kill the body and the soul in hell, which is God. We fear him. Not, we're not afraid of him. That's not what the fear of the Lord means. The fear of the Lord simply means that I have such respect for how awesome he is that I don't want to displease him in my life. You know, um, so, I, you know, we're all in agreement that the Great Commission has not changed. The mission is still the same, regardless of what things look like and things, how things fluctuate in the earth. And so, because it's the same, we're in the business of getting people saved, introducing them to Jesus, you know. But at the end of that plan of redemption that we follow comes God's judgment on those who refuse to accept Jesus. And in doing that, what they really do is they're making the decision to pay the price of their sin for themselves. And since, they, since that price is a price you can never pay, that's, you know, the only place for them to go is to hell. So, uh, God makes this way through Jesus. And uh, we are his witnesses in the earth. Remember, he told the church before he sent him out, he said, you're my witnesses in the earth. But it's in the process of time that people can make the choice to accept Jesus. See, it's been on my heart lately to mention again to you that God created time. It's, it's a construct. It's something that he has created. And each person has a certain amount of time on the earth that can be lengthened or shortened by their own decisions. And you see that in the word. But regardless of how much time a person has, their time is a boundary that God has created in which he allows them to exercise free will. Okay? But Christians that forget the process of time because Christians do this a lot. We, if we do that, then we fall into the trap of looking at how things are going and saying, look at what's going on. You know, what are we going to do now? As if God's plan has somehow changed. But God's plan has not changed. The terrible things we see happening are wicked, people, wicked people's response to God's plan. And we talked about that a while back. We talked about the kingdom. <clears throat> and so really that's what that is. A tribula- that seven-year tribulation period, God's the one that sends that. But the persecution that comes on the church comes from the world because the people who don't want, they're, going un- they're under pressure from God to make a decision about whether they're going to accept Christ or not because a lot of people just kind of want to tuck that under the rug and we won't think about that right now. But as persecution, ar- I mean, as tribulation arises, not persecution, but as tribulation arises, then they, feel they come under pressure, so what do they want to do? They want to, they want to shoot the messenger, as they say. Okay. So then, but the tribulation part, that comes from God, the trial. And so then, you know, we're supposed to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, preach the good news of Jesus until he returns. Get as many people saved as possible until we reach this boiling point that's coming up. And so naturally, we want to see the church grow in numbers. That's a, and that's a good goal. But there are two sides to church growth. You have growth in numbers, but then there's also spiritual growth. Because once you introduce someone to Jesus and they get saved, what next? You know, Well, hopefully they're providing a place, or we're providing a place, I mean, where they can grow in the Lord, where they can develop their faith, learn who they are in Christ, where they can be equipped to win others to Christ, and then, then we have more people to grow. Then we all are growing people together, you know. 
Now, when the lost, talking about people who are unsaved, people who haven't accept Christ, accepted Christ, the majority of them, when they look at the church at large, not, not talking about this body, just you know, talking about any organization that has the label Christian, because they lump us all together. They don't, they don't you know, anything that any, anybody or I mean, if, if somebody says, oh, I'm a Christian, yet they're living like the devil, you know, they, they say, if they say I'm a Christian, then people say, okay, they're a Christian. So then they see them as a hypocrite. And then they use that as an excuse not to accept Christ a lot of times. So, so when they look, when they see the, the, the church at large, they see division, they see controversy, they see hypocrites, they saying one thing, doing another, they, they see church people mistreat one another, you know, they see leaders who are concerned with money and prestige more than they are about God and what God wants. And there's many voices within the church that have different theories as to why these problems exist. But it all really boils down to one thing. You ready for me to give you the answer as to why? I mean, it's like, oh, well, this problem is, is that, that the church is too focused on this, or the church is too focused on that, or they're, they're too focused on uh, tithe, they're too focused on uh, missions, they're too focused on what, this, that, the other. But it all boils down to one problem, because all of those things stem from one root. So you ready for that, that, what that problem is? It's a lack of growth. It's a lack of spiritual maturity. Even people who are, are even, even people who are belong to Christ, who get saved, okay, a lot of them stay locked into a lot of the priorities that they had before they got saved, you know, pursuing earthly things, instead of taking the time to find out what's important to God. This is why ministers with miraculous ministries sometimes fall into sin. Sometimes we wonder about that. Well, this person fell. You know, why? They were, they, they were doing so much for the kingdom. Well, the answer is they never grew up in Christ. It's a maturity issue. Say, well, they've got a miraculous ministry. Sorry, it's a baby Christian. If their heart is so weak that they fall into sin, baby Christian, baby church, as one of the ministers at Raymond liked to tell us, Baby church. It's a maturity issue. They're still holding on to the leftovers of their former life before they accepted Jesus. So they, they, they don't prize the things that God values above what they value, whatever that is, money, fame, power, whatever. Maybe just, you know, like Jesus said the, when he's talking about the Pharisees, they love to, they love to walk through the marketplaces with flowing robes and to be called rabbi. That's what they love. Okay, and so it's a, it, what it happens is they're still keyed into those things rather than what God values, what God sees as important. And so it's a mature thing to sacrifice your dreams and take up God's dreams. It, it's a sacrifice, a big one. A while back, we talked a little bit on the difference between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. The gifts deal with power. The fruit deals with maturity, character. The gifts are given, but the fruit grows. It's possible for a Christian to have a lot of power in their life, but have very little maturity. Well, why would God do that? Well... Maybe that's what they, the lesson that they need. Everybody's different, you know. 
Some people have a, very little power working in their life, but they've got a lot of maturity. What we want is to have a lot of both. And today we're looking at the mature Christian walk that God desires us to grow in. Uh, the growth process okay, that I see in the Bible for a Christian is, is this. Strip down to nuts and bolts. Four things. Learn to love God. Learn to love people. Impact your world. And remember your first love. Some of you remember we talked about this in the past. And we're going to search these steps out in the Word today because we always base everything on the Word. The first step in our process here is love God. Chapter 1 in the book of Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if you want to take a step into the process of learning wisdom, okay, learn to have that fear of grieving God's heart, of doing something, you know, avoiding things that displease Him. That's the beginning of wisdom. And I, as I've studied this out, I found this to be true. If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, then the love of the Lord is the beginning of spiriting test. So look with me. It's, uh, look down at verse 17. We're in Mark 10. So now, as he, Jesus, was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way. Sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Okay, now, one time, I, you know, when my kids were younger, I was reading this to them. And uh, Isaac says, wait a minute. He said, you mean that Jesus wants me to give away all my Legos? First off, Jesus was not giving this as a commandment to all his followers. If he was, he would have said that. No, this was a test for that young man. That's why it's important to understand this is a specific test for him. Because Jesus knows what's in his heart. Okay, and there's a question underneath what Jesus told him. Do you love God more than you love your possessions? In other words, was he willing to put God above all his stuff? Was he willing to put God first? And really, I, I love how it's, it's possessions. It's not, it didn't say just money. It says his possessions, like his collections. Look at my collection. I've been, I've been building this for years. This over here, look at this, that I've, all the stuff I've put into my house and filled my house with stuff. For some people, it's not about money. It's about stuff. You know, and that's apparently what this, what this guy's, a whole a hang up was we've all got a hang up at least one and when we when we can recognize what that is it's easier to say okay i'm going to lay that down for god if he asked me to and so you got to remember that this was a test and when god tests us the test is not for him 
He knows what we're, what we're going to do. He knows all things. So it was like, well, why would God test? Well, sometimes he tests because he wants to see, but mostly it's for the test is for us so that we will know what is in our heart. I mean, earthly tests, you know, the teachers do want to know what you're, you, know, you, you score. They want to know what your score is. But they always give you back the results so that you know what you scored too, right? In this case, the test is only for you. So that God can, this, this is where you are. This is, what, this is what's important to you. It doesn't really take that long to reprioritize when you talk about a spiritual issue. Okay, Lord, I'm giving that to you. Never mind. I don't want, I don't, I don't want it anymore. Right? Do we love him enough to lay something down if he asks us to? You know, that's the thing. Sometimes we have to lay down stuff or jobs or even relationships. It's true. I had people in high school that I wanted to be friends with, and God's like, they're not for you. So some sacrifices are deeper than others. Then, But it stands to reason that if Jesus was willing to lay down his life for us, then he has a license to ask us to do the same. Or you could say, ask us to lay down things up to and even to on par with his sacrifice, which was to lay down his life. You know, it happens. Not to every Christian, but... I, I, you know, as I read the word and I see things like that in the word where people are martyred and things like that, I came to the realization that I have to be willing. I'm not, I mean, that's not my goal. That's not my plan, but I have to be willing. Because otherwise I don't love Jesus as much as he loves me. And so then, here's a question then. If that man, had, if, if he had said, when Jesus tested him, if he had said, okay, Jesus, I'll do that for you, I'll go with, and I'll go with you, I'll follow you wherever, would he have been showing Jesus love? Absolutely, no doubt. So to test this man's love, Jesus told him, sell all your things, give the money to the poor, and follow me. In the first epistle of John, chapter 4, it says, we love him because he first loved us. That's why we love him, because he loved us first. Remember, Jesus told the disciples, I chose you. You didn't, cho- you didn't choose me. I chose you. <laughs> and see, God's kind of love is, is hard for, for people sometimes, because at the fall of man, mankind's perception of love became flawed. You know, So now, to teach us love properly, God expresses his love to us first. Okay, so that we can learn to love him in response to his perfect love. Notice that in verse 21, before Jesus told the man to sell all his stuff, it says Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus, his call to sell the stuff was motivated by love, actually. Jesus loved him, and as a result of loving him, he said, one thing you lack Sell all your possessions, come follow me. So you could say then that Jesus called this man to give up his stuff out of love. Jesus loves you, wants to be with you. That, that first step in the process then on the wall there, love God, that makes sense to me if we're learning how to love because it's easy to love someone who loves you. Who treats you right. God never treats you wrong. 
It's easy to love a person that you know would lay down their life for you, right? Now, I told you all before when we studied along these lines that being a man in this time in society, love was a hard one for me to wrap my head around uh, until I saw something very important in the Word. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians 13. And I just want to hit this point quickly. Many people call this the love chapter. And many have an incorrect understanding of unconditional love because they think that if they don't feel affection for someone, that means they don't love them. But a close look at this says differently. We're, we'll start in verse 4 here and, read, and we'll read down to the beginning of verse 8. And as we read each of these things, it says that love is or is not. I want you to think about whether that thing is a feeling or a choice. Okay, so look at verse 4. It says, it says love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself or show itself off. Is not puffed up or prideful, what that means. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own or seek its own way, its own will. Is not provoked. It means it doesn't take offense easy. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And that first sentence of eight says, love never fails. When I read this, I don't see feelings. I see choices or choices not to do wrong, do evil. So, yeah, sure, love can have strong emotions attached to it. Sure, but at its heart. What it really is, love is a choice. If I choose to treat others exactly like this chapter says, regardless of how they treat me, I'm expressing unconditional love. And a while back we talked about the difference between love and trust. We're not talking about trust. We're talking about expressing love. Okay? And and really what we're talking about here is expressing the God kind of love. Unconditional love. Sometimes you're required to love people from a distance if they are a person who causes harm in your life. Sometimes you, you need boundaries. But you can, you can love people from a distance, you know. Jesus a lot of times loved the religious leaders of the time from a distance. But I don't want to get ahead of myself here. We're still on, on the first step, which is love God. So think about this, though, because a lot of times we look at this chapter this love chapter, and we say, okay, it's only talking, we kind of just naturally think it's talking about loving people. But it's also loving God. This is the same kind of love that we love God with. So then, you know, when God tests me, like he tested the rich young ruler, am I long-suffering during that test? Am I patient toward God if, if he tests me? Can I choose to be patient even when I don't want to? When I talk to God, do I use kind words? Am I kind to him? Do I parade myself and boast about things I've done? Do I boast about how I think he should answer prayer? You know, some of us are thinking, well, no, I treat God with respect. At least I try to. Well, like we said earlier, God is easy to love. He's the easy one to love. I think a lot of us are doing, doing this right, and a lot of times I'm not even thinking about it. <laughs> you know. But it's when we start talking about loving people with this kind of love that we, we might have some trouble. People are 
can be hard to love. So let's switch gears in the middle of this chapter here. Talk about the second step in the process, which is love others. Can I express God's kind of love to others when I'm patient with them, when I'm kind to them? If I don't boast about what I'm, I've done, you know, if I, if, I, if I keep humble. I can choose to be kind anytime. Sometimes I don't feel like being kind. Sometimes you feel like, I just, I just, all I want to do is sit here with my coffee. You know, and read my, read my book, read my Bible, read my comic book, whatever you read. I don't know. Yeah, cruise Facebook, not know what you're looking for, right? But if I put, if I put that, that, that feeling of, of not wanting to engage, if I do that, if I put that underfoot, and I choose to treat people with kindness. I can demonstrate God's kind of love. And we can go right down the list here on all these. And we can see that following each one of these things is a choice. Right? Choice of our own free will. Existing in that time frame that you have on this earth. Look at verse 5 again here. It says, Do not, it does not behave rudely. Love doesn't behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Now, that doesn't mean that an evil thought might, might not pop into your head, but you just don't entertain that. You know, it's not, it thinks no evil, dwells on no, none of that. It's like, yeah, well, well, you know, we'll just take that thought captive to the feet of Jesus. Amen. Does not be, rejoice in iniquity. That's sin, but I, I imagine... It's like, uh, but iniquity is also hardship associated with sin. So it's like, aha, they fell, I knew they would. Or, you know, they cheated me and they got what they deserved kind of a thing. Doesn't rejoice in that. No rejoicing for that. But rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Love never fails. In other words, if I submit myself to living out God's kind of love, the actions I do in that love can never fail in God's eyes. It doesn't really matter if I think I've, I was successful. If I'm endeavoring to walk in God's kind of love, love never fails. Talk about living a life of victory. That's another reason to praise God. So now let's establish these first two steps of growing spiritually. Please turn with me over to Matthew 22, back to the Gospels. Everyone must be digital today. I don't hear any pages turning. Except for me. Matthew 22. That keeps crackling. I wonder what that's about. Starting at verse 35 down here. It says, Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him, asked Jesus, a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. 
there's a lot of weight in that. I mean, magnitude to that statement. That means everything written in the old prophets, every command from God through, through, through Moses, through all of the prophets, rests on two commandments. <laughs> Jesus gives the first two steps in the growing process, and they just happen to be the two greatest commandments. Love God, love others. And actually, we see as we study this out that it was Jesus himself that really gave us all four steps here on the wall. So many Christians struggle with the first two steps, though. And I think that's because they don't think of love as a choice. They grow up thinking that love is dependent on how they feel. And I can see how that would really complicate things. But when you think of love as a choice, that makes it so simple. But at the same time, you know, I can spend years learning to draw closer and closer to God, learning to love Him more and more. By the same token, I can spend years learning to express love to others well because different people perceive love in different ways. But if we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, He helps us express love well. He helps you. I had a teacher at Raymond used to say, Lord, help me pass my test. She'd tell us that, Lord, say, Lord, Lord, help me pass my test. That's why we do our best to be spirit-led when we're interacting with people because only God has the key to each heart and knows what each person needs to hear in a time of hardship. For example, I heard a pastor tell a story of a time. It wasn't me, by the way. This is a different pastor. He was telling a story about a time he stopped in traffic at a stoplight. And I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again because it's just really good. While he's sitting there, he notices this guy walking through the crosswalk. And he's just... You know, he's like three or four cars behind, behind the, the front of the line. So he's kind of far back, and he just notices this guy walking. And he's just sitting there, just, you know, hanging out, doing his daily business like everybody else. Well, right as this man is stepping up onto the curb, the Holy Spirit spoke to the pastor's heart and said, his name is John. Because he's just watching him absentmindedly, right? He's just kind of like watching a guy walk across the street. I mean, I imagine it's like the Holy Spirit's next to him. Hey, his name is John. Right? So, well, as quickly as he can. Because he's, he's learned by now. You know, got to follow what God says. So, so, he's, so he un, unhooks his seatbelt because he rolls down his window. There's no way the guy can hear him from that distance. So he rolls down his window, pushes the car door open, is leaning out, and he's like, John, John! Yelling over traffic, right? Well, the man's startled. He's like, who knows me out here, right? <laughs> and so he looks around, he sees the pastor holding the car door open with one foot on the street, and the pastor shouts, God told me to tell you, Jesus loves you. And he broke down in tears. On the curb. Well, now that's an act of love. Wouldn't you say? It's, it's embarrassing to do that in traffic, though. But that pastor had to get past those feelings. And to, to show, in order to show the love of God to someone who needed to hear it. But you can see then how God works together with us in these things. That's why the word tells us we are co-laborers together with him. You know, and his, that's not his plan. He's just sitting in the car. His plan was not to call out to this guy, John. Well, if I'm a co-laborer together with God, that means he decides what part of the field we're working in and what kind of work we're doing. So I have to, okay, whatever work you want, Lord. Whatever you want done. That ties into the third step, though. This, uh, 
willingness to work wherever God says is impact your world. See how these just flow together. Turn six chapters forward with me to chapter 28. We're still in Matthew. 28. Hmm? Oh. So this is just after Jesus was crucified. He's paid the price for our sin, rose again. And he's just about to give the great commission to the church, starting in verse 18 here. It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So Jesus gives this command to make disciples of all the nations. Now, the individual Christian can't make disciples of all the nations, but for the church as a whole, it's possible. If we each do our part and work by the Lord's side, it's possible. And, you know, he, he gives some very um, specific instruction here, but we're all going to do that through the different gifts and talents God has given each one of us. Your ministry doesn't look like mine. I mean, there's going to be similarities, obviously. But each one is a different part of the body. But uh, this is why, you know, we call, call this third step here, impact your world. Because of all the different gifts and talents we have, we're all going to impact our world in different ways. We each have a, a different circle of influence, different, different group of people around us. You can speak into the lives of the people in your circle. You can sow seed into the people in your world. It doesn't mean that you're going to be the one who actually prays with them and introduces them to Jesus. But you stand as a witness of Christ in their life. And if we go through the first two steps, love God and love others, that they naturally translate, like I said, into the third step of impacting your world. But instead of trying to impact your world from a place of obligation now, see, because how, why am I trying to impact my world? Am I doing it out of obligation just because Jesus said to, okay, I better go do this? Or am I doing it because of the first two steps? Love God and love others. See, because if I am now impacting my world from a position of God's love, well, that's different than just I'm doing this because I have to. Right? And see, God cares deeply about the lost. The Father cares so much about the lost that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Sacrificed his only son. Okay? Jesus cares so much about the lost that he allowed himself to be sacrificed. There are people out there that debate, well, who really killed Jesus? Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. He chose. That this, this is how much he cares about the lost. The Holy Spirit cares so much for the lost he constantly leads us to engage people and share the love of Christ with them. And he convicts them of their sin, not to make them feel guilty or make them feel bad, but for the purpose of pointing them to Jesus, the one who will save them. Love God, love others, impact your world. That story of that pastor in the car, it takes us through the first three steps. 
kind of a reactionary response. You know, when you're, uh, you know, when you're training in the military, it takes, to, uh, like, you know, I like to, me and Jonathan like to talk about this because he's a military man, you know, and I'm like, I'm envious of that, but, but that's not what my, what my call is. But I'm like, you know, you, you start off, and, you, and it takes time to learn to train. But it gets to a point where it, it, they, you react, you just react with all the right steps, right? Whatever, whatever the situation is, because it's, it's that um, repetition over and over and over again. Well, and you can see that in this pastor's life. He's very experienced in, in following this because w- what, what happens? He's, he's just sitting there, and God engages him and says, his name is John. He knows, I'm supposed to get this guy's attention. So what is that? He, he's showing love to God by obeying. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. The call was intervene in this man's life now. Okay, his name is John. And then the second step right there to love others is God told me to tell you Jesus loves you. That is expressing love. So those are the first two steps. I mean, you're talking within a minute. The third step, and that, that impacted, you know. Right? So, but see, and, and it's funny because it's like it, the, the man just kind of walked into his sphere of influence, literally walked in to, to, you know, within, within range, within range of this pastor's world. So God's like, okay, he's, he's in range. Get him. <laughs> yeah, get him with God's love, right? <laughs> so then, impacting your world is about ministry. Well, ministry just means service. It doesn't mean that you're in the fivefold ministry. It doesn't mean that you're on book tours and you're, you know, going overseas and doing all kinds of stuff. It, it's just service. The American church has done a good job of teaching people about service. But what, from what I've seen in my years of ministry and growing up in the church is that the majority of churches miss the fourth step of growing spiritually. They stay locked into the third step and they just never get out of it. You know, they respond to the call on their life and they, they take up action, you know, and they, they take up an action of impacting their world, but they just keep working and 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 working. How many of you have ever heard the term burnout? It's a big problem in our world today. Everyone wears themselves out. And I, I, I come across people who, you know, they actually take some satisfaction in that. Well, how have you been? Oh, I've just been so busy, but you know, it's okay. It's okay. I'll make it. It's such a problem that you can buy books on it, avoiding burnout. What's God's answer? Be still and know I'm God. Be still. Stop, stop working for a minute. Just be still. You know, I think, <laughs> I think about this problem like that cartoon that Jerry Seinfeld came out with, B-movie. I'm not endorsing it, but sometimes you can pull a kernel of truth out of stuff movies and TV or whatever. Sometimes you've got to wade through a lot of junk to do that, but you can pull out a little, little truth here, here, here and there, you know. There's a statement in that movie that reminded me of the modern church. In the movie, the main character is a honeybee, and he's just about to start his job in the hive. You know, he's all excited. And the tour guide that's showing them around, like orientation, he, he makes a statement. He says, you can choose whatever job is open. He says, but choose wisely because it's the only job you'll have until the day you die. And he says... So you're just going to work us to death? And the tour guide goes, well, we'll sure try. 
I think a lot of churches act that way without even realizing it. It's what they're doing. It's like one time we said, it's like, well, you know, uh, so-and-so uh, uh, volunteered to work in the nursery, but that was about a year ago, and we haven't, we haven't heard from her. Is she okay? Is she all right back there? So we better go check and see if she's still alive. See, they teach people to work and serve, but there's no opportunity to take a break. And I've seen church leaders step down from their position and leave their church. Six months later, they're leading elsewhere. Now, that's not to say that God doesn't move his people around, because he does. Sometimes, you know, God moves you to a place because they need, they need to hear what you have to say, or you need to hear what they have to say, or whatever it is. But I know for a fact that some people will step down and leave their church just because they don't know how us to get a break. They feel like they can't even ask. And getting tired in our society is easy. And we still have these natural bodies to work with, you know. These bodies get tired. They need times of rest and refreshing. Just like the soul and spirit need refreshing and rest. Acts 3.19, Paul said, he's preaching to the lost, or Paul, Peter, excuse me. Peter's preaching to the lost. He says, repent so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. If you repented and decided to walk like Jesus walked, you can expect times of refreshing for your heart. Had a time of refreshing a little while ago. But notice where those times of refreshing come from, from the presence of the Lord, from his presence. So if we want a time of refreshing from the Lord, we need to get into his presence. The book of James tells us, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. That's a promise. But those are times of refreshing for the spirit. The kind of, of rest that we need for our bodies is different, just like the food we need for our bodies is different from the food needed for the spirit, for the soul, and the soul, I should say. But that's a teaching for a different time. We'll get into that sometime. Talked about it before, but if you want more about that, I've got a really good mini book on it called The Threefold Nature of Man. Fascinating. So let's go ahead and turn our Bibles over to Revelation chapter 2 as we get ready to wind this down. How are you all doing? Are you okay? You all tired? You need to get up and stretch or get some water or something? It's okay, I did that while I was writing this. I was like, I need to stand up for a little while. Okay, Revelation 2. So we've recently looked at this passage, but I want to camp on something that we didn't look at before. Revelation 2, verse 1. This is Jesus dictating this letter to the church at Ephesus. He says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus... Right, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. Okay, so first he, he points out their works, all right? So we know this was a working church impacting their world. Amen? Right? Verse 3. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. So th this church knew how to rest, apparently. They knew, they knew that. Burnout was not their problem. Now, so, so then, you know, it's, it, but, but apparently there's more than one issue here. It's not just about not avoiding burnout. Because he, he says, I have this against you, though. 
The problem was they've left their first love. What's the first commandment? Which also happens to be the first step in this growth process. Love God. He goes on. Verse 5. Remember therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Okay, now first Jesus is talking to a church. And he says, repent. Remember what I quoted from Peter saying, Acts 3.19? Repent so that times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. There can be no times of refreshing where there is no repentance. Actually, penitence, you know, sometimes you hear that word. Penitence is just the, the act of staying repentant, if you will. There's no, if a person stays penitent, there's no reason to repent because they're penitent. They're always keeping God before them. There's somebody who doesn't forget their first love, if you want to put it that way. Some, some people I know really want to split hairs about the difference between repentance and confession. Really, they walk hand in hand, and there's some overlap, you know, so don't worry yourself about it. Just go on with the Lord. <laughs> but there's something else to take note of here. Jesus said, you have forgotten your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen... Repent and do the first works. Well, what are the first works? Well, Jesus said they had forgotten their first love, so the first, and the first love is God. Okay? Remember earlier when I said that our work should not come from a place of obligation, but from a position of God's love. The, ch- the church's first works were done from a position of God's love, this church at Ephesus. And, you know, this passage isn't the most popular teaching passage because it came in the form of a, rebu- a rebuke, right? Jesus is rebuking them. But he chastises those he loves. Again, we love him because he first loved us. He shows up and says, hey, this is, you got this going on in your life that you need to get rid of. He's doing that out of love. And so I love him because he first loved me. So he expresses this, hey, let that go. He's, and I recognize he's doing this because he loves me. I'm going to let it go. And in the, the act of letting it go and repenting of that is an act of love toward him. <laughs> when I was first studying this, I'm like, maybe I have no idea what love is at all. You know, you, you, yeah, well, you know, yeah, we do. We, have a, we, have, we know. But we, we need to get more in line with the way God loves. So the last step in this simple process is remember your first love. Remember. You just need to remember our first love before we forget so that Jesus doesn't have to show up and rebuke us. I won't forget him. One of the reasons we take communion, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Remember. So, love God, love others, impact your world, Remember your first love. And you can see how this process cycles back on itself because, because you, you get through the first three steps and then when you get to number four, you go back to step one. Remember your first love. 
And this is something that you will do your entire life, your Christian walk. It's not just, oh, I've learned to love God, now I'm moving on. I'm never going back to that step. No, you will go back to that step many times in your life. It's a constant cycle. At some point, I'm going to be in one of these four stages. But then you also see that there's a lot of overlap in these stages too. I mean, I do, we just separate them for the purpose of teaching. But in reality, you might be, I mean, you might just be, you know, part in love God and then part in love others and you're just getting through to the next impact your world part, but impacting your world is also showing love to God if you're doing it out of his love. <laughs> These are principles that Jesus told us to focus on in our lives. So let's remember that at some point in our walk with God, we're in one of these stages. And that we will go through these stages many times. And it's okay that we do that. Amen? Well, that's all I have for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this. This is so close to your heart, Lord God. And we want to please you. We want to be close to you. And so as we walk this out, Lord God, show us and give us opportunity to do all of them. And remind us, Lord God, continually. Give us opportunity, Father God, to show your love, to show you love, to impact our world. Show, give us reminders of your love, Lord God, so we can cycle right back in and just constantly stay at your side, Lord. I pray for ministry opportunities for all of us here. I pray for divine appointments, Father God, wherever you send us, we'll scatter seed. We'll be faithful, Lord. And we thank you, Lord. I pray for safety and protection and blessing on all of them. And I thank you, and in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You're all dismissed. Happy Mother's Day again.